0: Welcome to the Health, Wealth, and Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Hagen, a nutrition coach, entrepreneur, food freedom expert, and forever a recovering disordered eater. I am here to help you own your enoughness, find your very own food freedom, and achieve your health and wellness goals in a way that gives more than it takes. Each week, I will provide you with insight and inspiration surrounding no-nonsense nutrition, mindset, motivation, body image, confidence, and other wellness wisdom. Have you ever felt too busy to prioritize your needs, your wants, your desires, your goals? If so, nobody gets that better than Emily. Emily, also known as not another fit mom on Instagram, is a 40 year old mom of three boys. She is married to her high school sweetheart. She works full time as a wholesale book retailer, and she happens to be a certified personal trainer, fitness, nutrition specialist, and women's fitness specialist through National Association of Sports Medicine she is doing it all and she doesn't lie about making it look easy she is being super transparent about how hard it can be but how non-negotiable self-care is not just as a mom not just as a wife as a woman as a human being who matters so if you struggle with feeling too busy too stressed too overwhelmed. To put your needs on the priority list, you need to listen to what Emily has to say. Thank you so much for joining the show and for allowing me to interview you as our guest expert. I would love for you to tell everybody listening a little bit about yourself. Emily, give us the Instagram bio elevator pitch.
1: Who are you? Okay. So in a nutshell, I am a 40-year-old mom from St. Louis, Missouri. I married my high school sweetheart, um, let's see, a little over 10 years ago. Um, We have three boys. They are almost nine, almost seven, and three. So they're all in school. It's very busy times. Um, I work full-time out of the home in sales for a wholesale book distributor. So it's sales, customer service. Um, It's a wonderful company, very family oriented. They let you bring your baby to work until they're six months old. Like, so if you're, you know, if you're pregnant, you could plan on bringing your child to work with you until they're six months, um, either part-time or every day, like whatever you're, you know, whatever you really like. So I was lucky enough to bring two of our sons to bookstores with me and have them with me. Tommy came like part-time and then Jack came every day and he was just like at my desk. I had a little bouncer and a playpen and everybody would like take turns carrying him and cuddling him. It was pretty cool.
0: Oh my gosh, Um, that is really cool, especially for an employer to be so big of an advocate for like women's health and mom life.
1: Yes, it is amazing. It's I've never heard anything another company doing the same thing. So it's it's very impressive. Um, I really appreciated it. Having that special time, you know, when you're a new mom with your baby, when they're that young is amazing. So I am a certified personal trainer through the National Association of Sports Medicine. I also have my women's fitness um, specialist certification and nutrition specialist certifications all through the same organization. I created my own 12-week pelvic floor strengthening guide about almost a year ago. So that is live on my website. Um, In addition, I've been thinking about doing like an intuitive eating um, nutrition Maybe like a workshop or a class. I'm still, you know, trying to figure that out. Um, and I've also created my own 12-week guide, like fitness guide, that's in the works. I'm kind of playing around with it and want to try it out myself. But it's definitely something that I've been putting a lot of work into. So, yes, that is. You're busy. I'm very busy. <laughs>
0: So Emily, I would love to know, as a busy mom who has a full-time job, how did you get into, you know, women's health and this nutrition and fitness space? Was there a story there? Is there some kind of uh, catalyst that served to kind of ignite your passion?
1: Sure. So when I was pregnant with my first son about, let's say he's almost nine. So after having him, you know, after you have a baby, your body goes through lots of changes, typically weight gain, you know everything shifts. So I was really focused on losing the weight. Like that was my goal. I wanted to get down to a certain number, which saying that out loud now, it I have a very different mindset. Like I, that shouldn't be the most important thing, but back then that was my focus. I wanted to lose the weight. I wanted to fit back into all my own old clothes. So what kind of started as like a weight loss journey, you know, to get to that magic silly number. Um, it really transformed into me learning about fitness, learning about nutrition, um, fueling my body with good foods, prioritizing sleep. And then I kind of realized like, it's really not all about the number. It's just, you know, it's about feeling good and feeling strong and confident, um, you know, not relying on the scale or what you're wearing, just going by what you feel. So yeah, it, my mindset has definitely changed From then, you know, over the years and morphed and I've really kind of like, I never really was big into tracking. I did briefly like tracking my calories and macros and whatnot, Um, but I've really strayed from that and I'm just like, I'm going to eat what seems good, what feels good, focus on whole foods. Um, So yeah, that's what really when it started is when I was pregnant and then it's after I was pregnant, it's just gotten more. Um, become more of a part of my life, you know, each year, I feel like I get more into it. And I've really learned that that's my true passion. It's like, you know, I want to help women Um, taking care of your body with exercise and nutrition is really like the most important thing.
0: Mm, No argument here. (laughs) I would love to hear more about that evolution, because I, I know my personal nutrition philosophy and what I believe about food has changed so much since I first started getting into, um, you know, the health, nutrition, fitness space. And I'm so glad for that. I would love to hear about how your personal nutrition philosophy kind of morphed and evolved from that very beginning. You know, when you were pregnant for the first time to today, did you kind of learn by example and realize like, oof, okay, this isn't working. Like this is a little bit disordered or unhealthy. Did you have people in your life that kind of helped to pivot your philosophy? How did that evolution kind of come about?
1: I think it was really just like trial and error. Like when I think back to what I was eating after having my first son and I was breastfeeding and everything, I'm like, I probably wasn't eating enough, like, you know, going off of like the calories that I was like putting into my phone and what my phone was telling me I should be consuming. um, I've really learned. And it was really... I don't know, I guess it was through research, probably social media as well, something positive to come from social media, just to realize like, you don't have to eat a certain number of calories, you can listen to your body, try to focus on getting enough protein with every meal, you know, cooking your own food, not eating a ton of fast food, um, focusing on your water intake, lower sugar, I would say that's really the only thing that I try not to go too crazy on, like, I'll definitely have dessert, you know, and we'll go out to eat and whatnot. But But yeah, sugar is really the one thing that I try to watch. Um, So yeah, it's really just morphed over time. Like it's pretty cool.
0: It is really cool. I want to hear more about the calorie counting specifically, because you mentioned that was one thing that you sort of experimented with. And I imagine you've kind of mentioning your intuitive eating brainstorm course have kind of veered away from that. What did you discover about calorie counting that didn't feel like a sustainable solution for you?
1: Well, it was annoying to me to start with, like just plugging things in and like seeing how many calories were in something. And like, I don't know, it just felt like it was taking too much time. I felt like I wasn't even really seeing the results I wanted to see. Like when I look back at pictures of myself from that time period, I'm like, I really just, and I don't know, I I feel bad like judging myself, but like I just felt like my goal was skinny and now my goal is strong. And I just feel like I just looked like, I don't know. I just look so tiny and like (laughs) I needed to put on some muscle personally.
0: I think that sometimes we get so caught up in the exact numbers that calorie counting apps give us. It almost detracts from the, the whole point that is like, Am I nourishing my body well enough? Am I actually listening to what my body is telling me? Am I collecting any biofeedback? You know, I have more energy eating this, or I feel better when I'm breastfeeding and I'm eating this many, you know, meals versus that many. And I think calorie counting just kind of misses the mark, at least in my experience. I Mm -hmm. also used to be a calorie counter, but I'm someone who became too obsessed with it and Mm -hmm. tried to like find the perfect equation and the perfect formula. And I didn't actually know how to sustain a healthy relationship with food without calorie counting. It was kind of like my crutch. So Mm -hmm. very similar in that regard where it was something I tried for a while. I'm glad I learned that lesson, but not something that I believe was sustainable for me. And in my coaching experience, not sustainable for most people, because like you said, a lot of people find it to be just annoying if you're out to eat or you're on date night or you're with your kids. The last thing you want to do is whip
1: out my fitness pal and start plugging away. Right. And then I also feel like you can feel like a failure, you know, to some degree, if you're not hitting your numbers and, you know, if you're not really doing exactly what it says, so it can be discouraging too.
0: I actually, Emily, you're reminding me, I have a client and she was feeling kind of down about calorie counting. And I said, well, why don't we step away from it? Because at this point in her coaching journey she knows what foods leave her feeling great. And she knows the right quantity of food given her activity level. She knows when she feels satisfied versus stuffed or uncomfortably full. I said, let's take a break from it. And I just read her check and sheet this morning. And she was like, I feel so free because I don't know how many calories I'm eating, and then I don't have to think about how many calories I have left. She was like, I didn't just jump to junk food. I'm still eating foods that leave me feeling good, but just not having all those numbers in front of me feels really freeing. She kept saying the word free. and that's just a perfect example of what you
1: have observed in your own personal life too. Exactly. It's definitely more freeing. Um, I mean, I really think I've come a long way. like I thinking back, I think I was, it was after I'd had my second child, my boss brought in like donuts and like all these treats when I came back to work. And like, I cringe when I think about what I said, like he had this set up and I said something like, I can't eat those. Like it was something like that. And then after I said it, I was like, Oh my God, you sound so terrible. And like, what, of course you can, like, you can have a donut. Like it's not gonna throw all of your progress out the window. You know, it's just yeah, at that moment, like I always think about that. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad I've come, you know, so much farther. <laughs> and then I realized that's not gonna disrupt things just by eating one donut. <laughs> so true.
0: Now, Emily, I have a question for you. Do you think that it was helpful to kind of walk through that calorie counting part of your life to give you a calorie awareness? Because I think there are some people who like have no idea legitimately how many calories are in certain foods. And sometimes that education can be beneficial for them applying moving forward, not that they need to know how many calories are in everything they're eating, but just knowing whether something is calorically dense or maybe nutritionally dense. Do you find that that was helpful information to learn?
1: I do. And I think, you know, reading packages from, you know, pre-packaged food and things you're buying at the grocery store that you're not cooking from scratch, like it's very important to read the ingredients and the calories and I have thought a lot about that when I'm researching, you know, this nutrition course, course that I want to design, you know, that being one of the first things is like really teaching people how to read labels and like a rough estimate of, you know, a good number of, you know, grams of protein and fat and carbohydrates to kind of baseline. Because like you said, I don't think everyone knows, like you really just don't know. So I definitely think that's important.
0: That's my, I don't know that I want to say it's my rub with intuitive eating, but sometimes I struggle with the phrase intuitive eating because I want all of my clients and myself to have this mindful relationship with food where we don't need calorie counting apps and we don't need food scales or measuring cups. But I have arrived at that place now. Because I learned about calories and because I learned about macronutrients, not saying that everyone needs to go through the very disordered relationship with food that I went through years ago, by Mm -hmm. no stretch of the imagination, would I wish that on anyone. But I think that intuition might feel very differently for someone who grew up constantly eating high calorie foods in surplus compared to someone who grew up eating mostly whole foods and was taught how to listen to their hunger and fullness cues. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of find myself in this messy middle and it sounds like you're there too, where we want to teach our clients and inform them, but then give them the tools and the skills to really live in their bodies and and to connect with their bodies rather than relying on extrinsic tools.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Love that. Mm-hmm. Emily, you have a very cool story and your relationship with alcohol. And I would love to hear more about that. So can you talk to us about how your
1: relationship with alcohol has changed over time? Sure. So I'm very candid about, um, you know, struggles I've had in my past. So pretty much I would say my entire twenties, I worked in a bar. Um, I also lived abroad in London for almost three years and drink the drinking culture overseas is quite different. Um, people drink all the time. They drink like copious amounts of wine. It's, it's really fun, but it's different, you know, it's different than it is here. So after living there and then moving back, um, I worked in a bar where you could just drink whenever you wanted to, like during your shift when you were working and everyone did. And it just seemed normal to me. Um, It definitely got, you know, to a place where I was drinking, I would say, almost every night. Like it would be rare for me not to. Um, it was a really sad time for me, honestly. Like I had a lot of anxiety and I would think I, I used to think that drinking would make it better. Like I kind of struggled with confidence and like being shy when I was growing up. Um so I always thought like, oh, like drinking, it'll bring me out of my shell, which it did. But then like the next day I would just like suffer from like my heart would race, my anxiety would be like through the roof. And I was just, I feel like I lived, I was hungover all the time. I wasn't exercising, I wasn't eating good food. And I just felt terrible. Like it's crazy thinking now, like I'm 40, I have three kids, I work full time, I have way more energy than I do, than I did then. I feel a hundred times better, like I'm sleeping better. Um, so yeah, when I got prior or when I got married, um, about a year later, I got pregnant and, you know, decided, okay, I'm I'm done. I'm not going to drink anymore at all. I'm having a baby. And it really saved me, honestly. Like, I don't know if I would have stopped drinking completely had I not been pregnant, but it really opened my eyes, like, to see this whole new world without alcohol. Like, I felt so good. I was sleeping so good. I had energy, even though I was pregnant, you know, and you're tired and uncomfortable, but, like, I had so much more energy, so... I've definitely come a long way. Um, I never want to tell anyone that I don't drink 100%. I'm very honest with saying, like, I haven't given it up completely. I feel like I wasn't, I don't think I was to the place where I would say, like, oh, I'm an alcoholic, I can't drink. Like, I think now I'll go out for a special occasion and have maybe one or two. And that's like, that's it. And I'm fine with that. And I never feel like, oh, I have to have another one. You know, it's nothing like that. But I never want to like tell anyone, oh, I completely quit drinking, like even though it's like 95% of the time. Um, So yeah, I'm definitely glad, you know, I really wouldn't change my past because I don't think I'd be where I am today without it. But I'm definitely glad to be in this much more sober place that I'm at now.
0: It sounds like you've noticed there are a lot of positive trade-offs, like you mentioned the energy and, and not struggling with those hangover side effects the next day. Did you notice anything else change as a result? Obviously, it's kind of difficult because at the same time you were pregnant. So I'm sure there's lots of changes happening as a result of that. But did right. you notice any other positive benefits? I mean, that you mentioned anxiety.
1: Yeah, I think um, I mean, I definitely was heavier when I was before I had kids when I was drinking like I would say maybe 15 pounds heavier because all of the extra calories from alcohol and then working those late nights, I would go out and I would eat fast food, you know, and make poor eating decisions, you know, late two o'clock in the morning. So yeah, weight loss too. I would say my skin is better. Sleep is better, better mood. Like honestly, every, everything, like every aspect (laughs)
0: Do you think it's a situation, Emily, where a lot of people get into the habit of drinking and then they're not quite sure how great they could feel if maybe not even eliminated, but reduced their alcohol consumption until you're in that situation. And then you're like, Oh my gosh, I feel fantastic. Like this is, this is worth the trade off of having a few fewer drinks during the week
1: definitely and I always I do mention that to clients as well like to be honest with yourself and take a look at how much you are drinking because even though I don't really um, encourage calorie counting or that's not really my philosophy those drinks do add up so if you're looking to hit some kind of a fitness goal um, you know and you are drinking a lot like that could definitely impact that
0: yeah Absolutely. I kind of had a similar situation in that I grew up in a non-drinking household. Actually, I didn't know about London, Emily. That is so cool because I studied abroad in the UK in Bristol and actually made a couple of trips to London. And I was shocked by the drinking culture because growing up, we would go to like coffee shops because I wasn't a drinker. I hadn't really been introduced to alcohol beyond like the occasional glass of wine or glass of champagne at an Mm -hmm. event. And then in England, after school, I went to get my master's degree, everybody would go for drinks. Oh, yeah. It was just like the thing. So I was introduced to cider in the UK, which I love. But a yeah. couple of years ago, I started taking an anxiety medication in conjunction with therapy and, you know, doing all of the holistic things that I could control mm-hmm. and, one of the things that my therapist recommended was, hey, you may just want to, you know, avoid alcohol while you're taking this medication. And I was like, well, I don't drink a lot anyway. You know, maybe a couple on the weekend if we were going out socially, but let me try and see what happens. And I realized that I didn't miss it. Mm -hmm. Not that it enhanced my anti-anxiety meds in any monumental way, but I just realized, hmm, I don't think I really... Need alcohol. So I haven't had a drink in like two and a half years. And again, it's not awesome. that I'm like living sober because I don't right. want alcohol or can't handle alcohol. I just find that sometimes you don't know what you have till it's gone. But the, then the opposite is also true. Like sometimes you don't realize how much you don't need something until it's gone. And then you're like, wow, that was just habit. Exactly. Or that was just circumstantial,
1: but I don't actually need it to live my life to the fullest. Mm hmm. And it is hard because I mean, at least with my group of friends, like everyone always wants to go out, let's get drinks. Like we're going to, all the moms are going out and I'm always kind of like, I want to go, I want to have that connection. But then you feel that pressure to partake. And like, that's what, when I say like, I'll have one or two, like those are the times because I don't know, I could probably go and just not have anything, but it is hard when you're the only person you know, and everyone else is like, not really pressuring you, but, you know, probably slightly like, Oh, come on, you can have one. It's okay. So it is definitely hard.
0: That is really challenging. And I, I don't know if you have any tips for like social pressure, but I find alcohol is one of those situations where unless people know you're abstaining, because you're in recovery, it really can be something that people kind of jovial Jovially, I don't think that's a word, but kind of like in good nature, want you to enjoy yourself, and they think that alcohol is going to help you to enjoy yourself more.
1: So it almost
0: feels like you're the buzzkill if you don't
1: partake. Mm -hmm. Yep, I couldn't agree more. That's how it feels. Yeah, that it's always like, oh, just one, like you can do it. It's okay. You know, we're all having a drink, it's not a big deal. It's like, I really don't want
0: one. And I think in those situations, it's totally okay to set that boundary and stand up for what you want and what you need. We have a local bar here and they have kombucha on tap, mm. which I am obsessed with because I can go, I can get, you know, a, a glass of kombucha, everybody else can be drinking. And it it's the same. Nobody cares when you have a drink in your hand, right? They don't care what you're drinking, really. They just want to make sure you're having a good time.
1: Exactly. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. I wish bars here had that. That would be oh, so no. nice. It's <laughs> <Amazing. laughs> the only one I've
0: found, but sometimes I'll bring my own if they don't yeah. have any, or even just getting like a sparkling water or something. Usually right. people will leave you alone if you're, you know, just kind of doing your own thing and still having a good time. Exactly. Now, Emily, you mentioned mom life and you have three little boys, and I have no doubt that they keep you on your toes. So I have to ask how do you handle this full schedule? and the stress that I'm sure inevitably comes with, you know, managing a family and having a full-time job and working towards personal goals. Do you have any strategies that
1: you can share with other women who
0: have multiple priorities? Yes.
1: So my kind of like number one thing to keep myself feeling good is to make sure I'm getting enough sleep. Because if I'm getting enough sleep then I'm probably going to be waking up early to work out, which I know is going to make me feel better and give me more energy and be able to handle everything. Um, I mean, I've also learned like, I do have to be very organized. I have calendars like in my office, on the wall, on my phone, on my computer, upstairs, like there's calendars everywhere. I have post-it notes with, you know, (laughs) things that what's going on. Um, I've also learned that it's, okay to not have everything done. Like it's okay to not have your house be perfectly clean. The laundry doesn't have to be folded and put away. Like, you know what I mean? Like you just have to learn to let some things go, enjoy it while they're young, you know, try to spend as much time as you can. Um, some days I feel super great. Like I feel like superwoman. I'm getting everything done and crossing off all my to-do lists. And then other days, like, I want to hide and cry in the bathroom because I'm like, this is too much. Like, you know, three boys is a lot, high energy. Um, So, yeah, it's, you really just have to take it one day at a time, give it your best, know that everything's not going to be perfect. Um, And, yeah, definitely focus on your sleep. That is number one. Mm,
0: Everything's easier with a good night's rest, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's where the expression sleep on it comes from. Not that you need to like sleep period, but that you need a lot of sleep so that you be fully functioning and cognizant the next day. Cause I'm a monster. If I don't get my seven plus hours, preferably eight or nine. So I can only imagine how much worse it is when you've got little people who are,
1: you know, kind of relying on you for their every need. Oh yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. Seven. Like you said, eight or nine though, that's like the sweet spot, but I haven't had nine in a while. It's more like seven or eight, (laughs) but that's okay. Emily, the way that you describe it is kind
0: of reminiscent of like fitness or nutrition. I mean, I tell my clients all the time, there are going to be days where you crush it and you feel like you're on top of the world because you're, you know, you're reaching your, your servings of protein. You're getting a ton of veggies throughout the day. You're staying hydrated, maybe hit your workout, but then there are going to be days where life gets in the way, you know, maybe work ran late and you have to pick up something on the way home instead of cooking that recipe that you wanted to make. It's a balancing act of doing your best given the circumstances, knowing that your best is going to look radically different day to day and not being hard on yourself for the things that you can't control and recognizing that, you know what, I can only do what is in my control and tomorrow's clean slate and I can you know start fresh with that great night's sleep.
1: Is that accurate exactly. to kind of assimilate the two? A hundred percent. Yes, it's all about balance, giving yourself grace. And another big one I didn't mention is if anyone offers to help, take the help, delegate tasks. Like your kids can help. They can help put away laundry. They can help clean up, you know? So yeah, take the help when it's offered, delegate and get your rest.
0: <laughs> what advice would you give a mom or or maybe just a busy working woman who doesn't want to lose herself in the process of taking care of others? This is something that I know a lot of my clients struggle with where, I think it's this societal norm of, you know, you come last on the priority list. You can't possibly put yourself first until everyone else is taken care of. It's selfish if you prioritize your own needs. And sometimes I think that ends up looking like getting lost in the shuffle of life. Because like you said, there's always something that's going to need to be done. So if Mm -hmm. we put ourselves at the bottom of the list, we're never going to get there. Exactly. How can we make sure that we're not losing ourselves and maybe forsaking our goals?
1: When sure. we're super full, I mean, you really do have to put yourself first. Like, I know if I feel my best and I've gotten rest, like I said, and like exercised or done something for myself that day, I know I'm going to be a better mom. I'm going to be a better wife. I'm going to do better, you know, working on my business or you know my full time job. Um, and self care is not selfish. I always say that to people too. Like, you have to take care of yourself. You have to do things for yourself. You know, treat yourself, get a massage, like get a babysitter and go to Target or whatever you want to do, like, you know, do something for yourself. Um, And I mentioned this before, too. But if you have family around and they offer to help, take the help. Don't feel guilty. Like the mom guilt is so terrible. Like, don't be guilty. Do not. No mom guilt.
0: Maybe even, I don't know if this is fair to say, I'm speaking as a married woman, but not as the mother, but is it fair to say that you don't even need to wait for someone to ask for help, but you could
1: ask for help? Oh yeah, definitely. What's the worst that could happen? I mean, they say no, but they could say yes. (laughs) Definitely. And ask your partner, your husband. I mean, you know, a lot of it, I feel like falls on the mother more so than the father or from the partner, but you have to ask for help. Yeah.
0: Sometimes i think the world projects asking for help as a sign of weakness and i think honestly it's a sign of strength to recognize here's my capacity, here are my personal needs, here's everything on my plate, they don't align. So i need to delegate or i need to recruit someone else to help me do something and exactly. asking for help is is just the best way that we can care for ourselves and then like you said Caring for ourselves in turn means being, being better able to care for everybody else around us, mm-hmm. which I know we hear all the time. It almost feels kind of cliche to remind people of, but I don't think we fully understand how important it is to say I matter, like just as a person, not as a mom, yes. as a wife, as, like just as a human being.
1: Right. Yeah, I couldn't agree more.
0: Emily, where can our listeners find you if they would like to hear more from you and be encouraged by you online? Is there a best place where they can connect with
1: you? Sure. So I would say I'm most active on Instagram. My handle is Not Another Fit Mom. I'm also on Facebook with the same name, Not Another Fit Mom, and TikTok, which I've just kind of gotten into learning how to navigate the TikTok waters. Um, I also have a website, which is I'm not another fit mom.com. Um, so yeah, I am, I'm on all those places on Instagram, probably the most, my DMS are always open. I respond to everyone. I'm always happy to chat. Um, my website, if you want to sign up for emails, I do send out emails regularly. So yeah, those are all the places. That is wonderful. Thank you for sharing. And
0: I encourage everyone to go find you on social media and learn more from you, see more of your content, just as someone else who's in the trenches, like doing the work and juggling what we like to call real life with our health lives and our, our personal achievement lives, because you are a beautiful depiction of the fact that you can do it all. You can't do it all all the time, but you can have this nice, beautiful balance of both making sure that you are a priority and still doing a great job of taking
1: care of other people. Well, thank you. I appreciate that so much. Absolutely. Thank you,
0: Emily. I value your time so much and really just want to say thank you for sharing your expertise and your knowledge with us. Of course. I'm happy to do it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Health Wealth and wisdom podcast if you like what you heard today be sure to rate review and subscribe and then head on over to nutrition with where you can sign up for my weekly emails where i send out my favorite tips tricks advice and support every single monday morning to help you kick your week off right thanks for listening until next time